One o'clock. Hello and welcome to the Middle East Forum speaker webinar series and podcast. I'm Stacey Roman and I will be moderating this discussion today. We're pleased to have Benjamin Weinthal, journalist for the Jerusalem Post and research fellow at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies, join us to discuss Germany's increasing support of a pro-Iranian regime. Mr. Weinthal will speak for 15 minutes and open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. And with that, I will turn the discussion over to Mr. Benjamin Weinthal. Okay, thanks, Stacey, and thanks for all those who um, are on the uh, on the call. And uh, I welcome questions. Good questions are uh, better than um, good answers, and this is a uh, big topic in light of the fact that Germany is the most, um, I would argue, uh, zealous um, champion of the nuclear deal that's about to be concluded in Vienna right now um, to curb Iran's, Iranian regime's uh, illicit nuclear weapons program in exchange for sanctions relief. And the reports that are coming out suggest that uh, the U.S. and the other world powers gave away the store and Iran's gonna reap a lot of benefits that'll help uh, the regime in Tehran um, advance its um, um, terrorism and its support of uh, Russia and other uh, totalitarian regimes. Um, so uh, I'd like to back up to 1984, just to give folks a sense of Germany's um, longstanding policy of uh, Sagi appeasement toward the Islamic Republic of Iran. In 1984, Germany's then uh, foreign minister, Hans Dietrich Genschner, uh, pursued a policy of um, called um, trade to, to bring about change. So the idea is not, um, is to incentivize, was to incentivize uh, the um, newly um, formed um, Islamic Republic of Iran, because this was only five years after the Islamic Revolution of 1979, to engage in trade with a view toward um, um, modifying its um, its um, human rights repression. Um, the real the real policy and the joke at the time was um, it really wasn't um, uh, a way to change Iran, but uh, the Germans and other Europeans, for example, Austria, were meeting with uh, the dictatorship in Tehran in order to spend their instead of spending their time trying to convince uh, Iran's regime to not repress its population, they spent their time bashing uh, the Americans and uh, American foreign policy. Um, and that policy of uh, trade uh, via trade with a view toward changing Iran's um, jingoistic and um, anti-human rights policies has, has largely remained the same as we can see in Vienna right now. And Germany's been, as I said, the proponent of that um, policy. Um, Germany has traditionally been the largest trade partner um, in Europe with the Islamic Republic of Iran and there have been reports, um, or I've been reporting on for almost 20 years now, about how German companies, mainly engineering, mid-level engineering companies, provide parts and technology to uh, Iranian companies in the regime that help 
keep the uh, regime's infrastructure on life support. Um, Germany still uses banks, including the Iranian, um, European Iranian Trade Bank in Hamburg to uh, make payments to the regime. And uh, during the Trump administration, um, the administration of Chancellor Angela Merkel actually sent diplomats or one diplomat to a, a sanction busting seminar to advise companies uh, how to circumvent US sanctions. At the time, uh, the um, US ambassador to Germany, Richard Grinnell, um, told me, uh, and I reported on this, that, that the participants at that meeting should be sanctioned. Richard Grinnell actually was one of the, arguably the, the most assertive uh, US dis diplomat in roping in um, Germany's um, pro or accommodationist or appeasement policies. Um, he got the Germans to uh, sanction Mahan Airlines, um, which is a, a terrorist airline that supplied um, Assad's regime in Syria with funds and military equipment and barred, got the Germans to bar the regime from using uh, that airline to land in, in Germany. And he also convinced via pressure, of course, uh, and, and the use of American uh, power to um, secure Germany's uh, decision to uh, outlaw all of the Iranian regime-backed terrorist organization Hezbollah, where there are well over a thousand Hezbollah operatives in Germany, still are, but on paper, Hezbollah's uh, terrorism activities are barred and Germany has a whole new set of legal um, and, and law enforcement tools that can um, crack down on Hezbollah's activities, including um, if the Germans choose to uh, ban uh, Hezbollah mosques and associations from sending funds to Beirut, um, which they do uh, to help advance Iran's, the Iranian regime's revolutionary ideology. Um, so there, there have been cases recently of Germany, um, and I think this is important, I've done some reporting on this, of supplying um, technology to Iran that was used in the Syrian war. For example, several years ago, I reported on a German company in Baden-Württemberg, uh, the southwestern state of uh, Baden-Württemberg in Germany that has a lot of, um, of these high, highly advanced engineering companies, and they sent a company there called Krempel sent uh, material to two Iranian businessmen in Tehran. And this material was later, this, this technology was later used in um, Iranian manufactured chemical rockets that um, poisoned about 19 people in one strike in Syria. And it was reported on, they found the made in Germany um, logo on this uh, technology. And it, it was somewhat of a scandal, but um, again, Germany's government told me there was no um, illicit uh, activity involved and they, they, the German government actually, their export agency approved the transfer of technology, this type of dual use technology that was used to poison a Syrian. So the bottom line is the West, I, I consider Germany the West's uh, worst ally, because as you saw with the lead up to the Russian 
uh, invasion of Ukraine, Germany banned Britain from delivering weapons to Ukraine, banned uh, Britain from using German airspace. Germany has been carrying Vladimir Putin's water for decades. And I would argue they're carrying the water of Ali Khamenei for uh, since the death, uh, since um, the late 80s. Um, and it, Germany's policy hasn't changed because the business of Germany is business and exports. And they're more concerned about prioritizing their exports to Iran and aiding Iran and its oil industry than um, about ensuring human rights or about ensuring that Iran won't build a nuclear weapons device. Um, the new German chancellor um, was in Israel just a few days ago, and he, Olaf Scholz from the Social Democratic Party, and um, he issued the, the usual statement that the time's running out or, you know, Iran's got to make, Iran's regime has to make a decision right now in Vienna about the deal, et cetera, et cetera. And that Germany stands on the side of Israel. As folks might remember in 2008, Chancellor Merkel gave a talk here in Jerusalem where I'm at right now and declared that uh, Israel's security is non-negotiable and Israel's security interests are part of Germany's national security interests. But that rhetoric of course is empty rhetoric as we've seen because um, Merkel and her successor, I would argue, are uh, largely concerned about um, maximizing trade. And, you know, they, they, the current trade relationship is in the billions, but uh, Germany expected the trade relationship after the JCPOA was negotiated, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action in 2015. Analysts in Germany expected trade to reach over 10 billion a year. And it's possible now that this uh, deeply concessionary and flawed deal will be settled in Vienna that trade could reach those numbers and that's money that will obviously um, pay for help Tehran um, with its um, terrorism um, in, the, in the region and against Israel. And I would argue in Germany where uh, the Islamic Republic of Iran uh, paid a Pakistani man in Bremen to surveil uh, German Israeli institutions and pro-Israeli institutions and Jewish organizations. And according to one German media report, he was paid by the IRGC, the Revolutionary Guards Corps, to assassinate um, an Israeli, a, a French Israeli citizen, or uh, someone else connected to Israel. Um, I reported on this a number of years ago. Germany refused to uh, sanction uh, Tehran over this assassination attempt on its soil. The Pakistani uh, terrorist was convicted and is serving a, a minor sentence in, in a German uh, prison. But again, it shows you the appeasement policy that Germany simply um, rebuked or reprimanded privately the German, the Iranian ambassador to Germany, but took no um, sanctions uh, or, or didn't sanction the, the Iranian government in any way. They didn't even, the, Germany wasn't even willing to call back its ambassador um, from Tehran. So there are also all sorts of appeasement policies that are taking place. There are multiple Germans who are being held right now in uh, Iranian prisons and the German government has refused to use its leverage to secure the release of these um, of these Germans 
uh, um, citizens. For example, um, there's one gentleman by the name of, and I've been writing about his case for uh, over a year now, Jamshid Sharmahad, who was kidnapped by Iran's regime in uh, over a year ago in the UAE, and he's facing the death penalty. Um, and um, he was kidnapped, and the German government has played it very close to the vest and won't say what they're doing. And I strongly suspect they're doing nothing because if they were doing something, they would use their economic leverage to secure the release of him and the other uh, German Germans who are currently being held, uh, the other German who's currently being held captive in, uh, in, in Tehran. So this is part of it. I guess what I'm saying is the Germany's appeasement policy expands into all walks of life, as one can see. And it's a, very, it's a highly dangerous game and it's jeopardizing, in my view, the security of the European Union, the Middle East and the United States, of, of course, also global security, just as Germany's uh, highly dangerous pro-Putin policy jeopardized the security of the EU, as we're seeing right now, uh, via Germany's embrace of the Nord Stream 2 energy project that benefited Putin's regime and also it's Germany's consumption of Russian gas, um, which benefits uh, Putin and aids him in his, uh, his warm, his, his invasion of Ukraine. So there has to be a, a dramatic shift in German policy toward Iran. Uh, that has to happen uh, on, within the, the voting sector of Germany. Germans have to decide um, to vote in politicians who are anti-Iranian regime and um, have to internalize, in my view, the, the larger public, the dangers of Iran's regime. Perhaps in light of what's happened with Putin, more Germans will view Iran as a, um, a fundamentally a dangerous regime that needs to be uh, dissolved. At the end of the day, uh, that will take place in Iran and ordinary Iranians will bring about um, the dissolution of the uh, clerical regime. But Germany certainly could help and it could help in, in, in connection with democracy promotion. And it's done the antithesis. It's celebrated Iran's regime, as I've reported on. In Berlin each year, there's a, um, an event at Tehran's embassy in Berlin where the Iranians celebrate the Islamic revolution and the German foreign ministry sends diplomats to this event to celebrate the Islamic uh, revolution and all that embodies, including its anti-Americanism and its genocidal anti-Semitism. It's a scandal, but there aren't enough uh, Germans at this point within the voting public to tip the balance to change uh, this type of policy by uh, voting for politicians who, as I said, are vehemently opposed to the clerical regime and appeasement policies of um, the German government. So that's sort of a, a 15 minute a snapshot version of what I consider to be sort of a form of uber um, soggy appeasement on the part of Germany's governments toward the Islamic Republic of Iran, and why Germany is um, largely uh, the, the main European actor who's been keeping uh, the Islamic Republic of Iran on, on life support. Um, and Germany is such a key player. Um, and the current Biden administration, much to my um, acute frustration, disappointment, 
um, has not uh, pushed Germany to crack down on Iran or um, urged Germany to uh, take a stronger position in light of uh, Iran's uh, gross human rights violations. So thanks for listening. As I said, um, fire away with questions. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Uh, we have quite a few questions coming in. The first one from Kenneth Miller. How has the Ukrainian crisis and the NATO boycott of Russian oil affected Germany's and other countries' decisions in regards to the Iranian agreement? It's a good question. Thank you, Kenneth. Um, thus far, it hasn't changed the, the German calculus toward uh, Iran's regime. Um, again, much to my uh, frustration. Um, I don't think, you know, in short, Germany hasn't learned the lessons of uh, the Holocaust. And uh, the, the Russian example, I think, was the most telling example because, um, you know, Germany, as I mentioned, refused to allow Britain to deliver weapons in the, in the lead up to the war by banning uh, the United Kingdom from using its airspace. Now, to Germany's credit, it did do a 180 now and it it did send some weapons to um, um, the Ukraine, but I just read a report or a headline, I should say, a few sentences in the, in the bill, Germany's largest paper, that many of these weapons are defective and are from the former East German communist state um, from that arsenal. So it's kind of, um, as one political reporter said, oh, the, the thought was nice, but the weapons don't work. Um, so it's it's it is a great should be a great source of embarrassment. Now, Germany did pull the plug on the Nord Stream two energy project again, but it took, you know, um, a war that was uh, that could lead to, you know, Putin uh, invading other NATO countries and 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 it's encroaching on Germany's border. Um, but for years, I've been writing about the dangers of this Nord Stream 2 project and why it should be canceled. Um, and other lone voices out there, like Gary Kasparov, the chess player, and some others, uh, Senator Ted Cruz has done tremendous work in this area. I've also urged, and Richard Grinnell, as I mentioned, and the Trump administration was opposed to the Nord Stream 2 um, energy project. But the Germans uh, refused to listen. In fact, the German ambassador, I should mention, is Emily Haber, H-A-B-E-R, in, in, in the U.S., aggressively lobbied in Congress uh, via letters and meetings for the Nord Stream project to take place. I think the American government right now should evict Emily Haber from the U.S., given her pro-Putin policy and what she did in terms of championing Putin in the halls of Congress. Absolutely. Uh, Eric follows up with that. Are you surprised that Germany has freezed the pipeline from Russia? Does this indicate that Germany is dramatically changing? Um, I am. I am somewhat surprised that the that the Germans uh, froze or suspended the Nord Stream two energy project. Um, I, I, I thought they would they would suspend it. The German government during the actual war. Um, I, you know, so that they did it a few days before the actual invasion, um, or actually, I think they, they I'd have to look at the exact date. I mean, Russia has already invaded uh, Eastern Ukraine, so the invasion has already, has already, has already been in place for uh, since 2014. 
Um, but the full scale invasion, I guess, is what I'm talking about. I expected the suspension to take place during the full scale invasion. And to the credit, uh, they did suspend it. Now, um, you know, whether that they're going to permanently abolish uh, the Nord Stream 2 energy project still up in the air. One would hope that they completely scrap the project and and, and they made a very foolish decision uh, when they, the German government under Merkel, when they um, closed all their nuclear power facilities and turned to Vladimir Putin as the sole source of their, or as the main source, I should argue, of their uh, energy and their future energy requirements. So that was just uh, extremely short-sighted. And um, it's one hopes that, um, ger that that Germany has learned its lesson with Vladimir Putin. I, 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 I tend to think so, but again, uh, the, the rapid fire change of thinking in Germany is also quite disturbing that in one moment they can go from being uh, largely pro-Putin according to attitude surveys and government policies and then anti-Putin based on the invasion. And who knows what happens if Putin recoils in some way, um, it's always possible that Ger it's possible that Germany could go back to being uh, largely pro-Putin and uh, embrace the Nord Stream 2 energy project. I, I, I guess what I'm saying is that the lack of consistency in German foreign policy toward totalitarian regimes is very unsettling. I consider Germany, as I mentioned, to be the worst ally within the West, the worst ally within NATO, as bad as Turkey, and uh, the worst ally within the EU. And if you look at their policies, Germany, has, and I've been writing about this for years, has largely been pro-Islamic Republic of Iran, pro-communist China, and pro-Putin. Now Putin's out of the equation, but Germany's still in the camps of uh, the Islamic Republic of Iran and uh, co the Communist Party in China. Understood, thank you. Uh, Eric also asked, how can we enter the Iranian agreement with Russia as a partner while we are in a sanction war with Russia? Can you please discuss what details you know of the proposed deal? Well, I, I don't have any um, you know, access to the, to the elements of the new deal other than what I've seen on social, you know, sort of coming out on social media and Twitter and different reports from, um, from folks who have access um, to diplomats in the State Department who, who are, are in a state of panic over Rob Malley's, uh, that's the US envoy who's, who's leading the negotiations, his uh, concessions to Iran, which I've read include delisting the IRGC, the Islamic, uh, um, Iran's Revolutionary Guards Corps as a terrorist entity. Uh, the Trump administration designated this organization as a terrorist organization. Um, and delisting all sorts of other Iranian regime officials as terrorists. And of course, uh, li lifting all the sanctions on oil. And then I believe I saw the transportation secretary, uh, Mayor Pete, uh, declare, uh, if I'm not mistaken, that the US is in the business of wanting to buy Iranian oil. Now, you know, I find all of this just shocking because A, the IRGC was responsible, as folks know, I'm sure on this call for murdering over 600 American military personnel in the Middle East. And why would the US buy uh, Iranian oil that when the profits will be used to uh, inflict 
terrorism on uh, U the US and its uh, allies. Um, so the US right now is a deeply confused, has, has a deeply confused government that's um, spiraling out of control and, and doesn't understand who its enemies are. And as I mentioned, is, is also in the business in, and this is a similarity between Germany and the US right now of soggy uh, appeasement toward Iran's regime. Um, so, um, I, you know, the US wants to kick the can down the road as previous administrations have done with Iran and cut a deal quickly with Iran's regime because they don't wanna pick a fight. Um, the U.S. is in the business now of turning inward and avoiding um, a strong presence on the global stage, which in my view is a mistake because it always comes back to haunt us in the U.S., um, as we saw with, um, you know, other forms of neo-isolationism. And Iran's, Iran's, the Iranian regime is in the business of exporting its um, revolution. So while the U.S. turns inward, the Iranian regime turns outward, and what will it do with all the, with the expected 90 or over 100 billion dollars it will receive as part of this um, deep, this wretched uh, deal in Vienna? Um, one can imagine, uh, as we've seen based on past behavior, um, increased terrorism in the Middle East, increased terrorism around the world from Iran's regime, more assassinations of Iranian dissidents more kidnappings of Iranian dissidents, um, a stronger alliance with Vladimir Putin's Russia and communist China to uh, stymie American um, interests around the world. So um, one hopes that, that Congress will, you know, blunt or, you know, try to find a way to stop this uh, Iranian deal, but uh, Biden has not made it subject to congressional approval, and um, there's no there's no transparency about the deal either, based on what we're what we're seeing right now in terms of what's being negotiated. Sorry, I lost my mouse. Um, all right, I follow up for that. Uh, Chuck Falk asks, "What is motivating the five plus one to renew the JCPOA agreement?" In your opinion. That's a good question, Chuck. Uh, well, these are all good questions. The, the motivation is um, the, the West, in my view, or at least the, the, the Western powers that are part of the, the, the deal um, are, many of them are interested in trade with Iran, for example, France and Britain and Germany. They have sort of vested economic interest in revitalizing um, their economic partnerships with Iran and it's and Iran being the second largest, having the second largest reserve of oil in the world, um, they these countries, uh, Germany and, and France and Britain, have important um, economic interests. Royal Dutch Shell, which is partly owned by Britain, certainly is 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 starved to get back into um, Iran. And Germany, as as I said, is as has a massive amount of economic activity with Iran from its car industry, Mercedes-Benz and other um, automobile parts and um, companies to oil and providing all sorts of uh, um, equipment for Iran's liquid natural gas production, et cetera. Um, and 
there's also this, this severe fatigue on the part of the West um, to capitulate to Iran's demands because um, the West does not want to engage in a military fight with Iran and they're not willing to embrace a maximum sanctions campaign strategy that could ultimately lead to the collapse of the regime. So um, they've, they, the West has, decided, has opted for, um, I would argue, a form of public humiliation and capitulation. Um, and that policy simply involves, um, we don't want Iran to race to, to uh, creating a nuclear weapons device within the short term, in the next six months or a year. So we'll engage in this uh, rather this ephemeral deal that'll last you know, a few years uh, and prevent Iran from building, uh, at least we think it'll prevent Iran from building a, a nuclear weapons device within the period of a few years or 10 years, whatever the, the, the short, whatever the short term duration is. And then we can sort of run through, down the halls as cheerleaders and declare victory. Um, but it's, 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 it's an ephemeral victory in the sense that um, it's appeasement and that the long-term realization of this deal is to deliver a nuclear weapons device to Iran, not prevent and allow Iran to develop uh, highly enriched uranium that will uh, allow it to build a nuclear weapon. So I see this part of all these different factors coming together. And of course, Russia and China simply want to cut a deal um, because they're largely aligned with uh, Iran's regime. And um, they see Iran as an, as an ally and also as, an, as an, an incredibly important trade partner. For example, China uh, consumes huge amounts of uh, Iranian oil and um, has, has helped, has played a key role in, in, in busting US sanctions right now, targeting Iran's regime. Um, and, and there's, again, it's, it's, it's very, there are striking parallels between what's happening in Russia right now and Iran. The West has spent, um, you know, 20 years placating Putin and appeasing Putin. And you just have to read Gary Kasparov's 2000 book, 2000, in 2015, his book, excuse me, Winter's Coming. He lays it all out about how placating Putin is not going to work and Putin's going to invade um, Ukraine and and Khamenei, the supreme leader of Iran, has the same playbook. It's just that's how dictators work. I don't think it's anything intellectually more complex than that. And the West is is simply utterly feeble and uh, running scared right now of people like Khamenei and Putin and other totalitarian leaders. So they choose the path of cutting deals where dictatorships don't honor treaties or deals. And that's, um, and I don't think it's a question of being naive um, from, the, from the West. I, I, I do think they, they simply um, don't have the fire in their belly right now, they being the Western powers to confront Khamenei. So we're gonna end up with a regime in Tehran that has a nuclear weapons device. Mm -hmm. Well, before we head out, uh, can you let our viewers know where we can find some more of your work? Sure. Do, do we have time to take some more of the questions or, or is it? Um... Unfortunately, we've run out of time. Uh, it's just a half hour program. Okay. Um, well, um, again, uh, thanks a lot uh, for the 
for inviting me for the to Middle East Middle East Forum, excuse me, and Daniel Pipes, please send my regards to Dr. Pipes. And thanks for the, you know, initially I think we had over a hundred participants on the call for carving out time to, to hear me um, to deliver some clinically depressing news to the participants about Iran's regime. Um, my writings you can find or what I've written about Germany and Iran are, are largely on the website of the Foundation for Defense of Democracies and at the Jerusalem Post. Um, both those websites uh, contain most of my writings about uh, uh, Germany and German-Iranian relations. And um, yeah, there's, there's, I don't know, I've probably written hundreds of thousands of words about the same topic, but it all comes down to, in the end, uh, soggy appeasement. That's the running thread. Um, so uh, from the German and toward uh, Iran. So again, thanks uh, for having me on the program. And um, I hope everybody has a wonderful weekend. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I'm sure we could go on for another God knows how long. <laughs> uh, this is definitely a very relevant topic. All right. Well, we've come to the close of our webinar. Thank you again, Mr. Weinthal, for joining us today. Uh, for our viewers, please be on the lookout for our weekly webinars offering email coming out over the weekend. Thank you all for joining us, and I hope you have a great day. Great. Thanks. Have a nice weekend. You too. Bye. Bye.